This is Always Remember The Mod State Podcast And now, your hosts That's us Alright What's going on, dude? Imagine if the old boy only knew Imagine all the people He he was part of the intro (sighs) Would he like it? I guess it's kind of dystopian sounding. I mean, I suppose. I mean, when you compare it to to the two mainstream television shows that have had Nixon as president, he was president for life in uh, Futurama and The Watchmen. But true, true. I don't know if he'd like it or not. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think he'd appreciate it. I don't think he liked a whole lot. No. Well, how have you been? I can't complain, my friend. Excellent. You? Well, I have plenty to complain about, but. <clears throat> I don't know. No, I mean, I can. Uh, it's been crazy. I can yeah, complain. it's been it's it's been crazy, man. It's been uh, this uh, whole Omicron variant in the healthcare system has been uh, less than, but at best a nightmare, uh, at worst challenging, uh, which means it's been everything in between. So, uh, but you know, it's okay. I think there's again. Uh, I think we're we're marching closer to the potential for this being more of an endemic. Uh, which means that it's just something we live with, like the flu, which I'm looking, <clears throat> quite frankly, looking forward to, and most healthcare professionals are. Uh, but I think we are sort of on the tail end, but it still doesn't mean that it isn't any more disruptive uh, than it ever has been. And it really, it really has been crazy. So, but yeah, I here, think, I think just, like we talked about earlier, yeah, which, in terms of political damage, right? I mean, yeah, it I think it peaked, right? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think there's plenty to talk about. We'll dive into it tonight. Um, before we uh, get to it, well, as always, thank you for tuning into the Mod State podcast. As always, head over to modstate.com for more opinion pieces and more traffic. As always, wherever you're listening from, internationally or domestic, we appreciate it and we thank you for sticking around. Well, here we are. Look at that. Every time I do that part of the intro, I get a little bit quicker. And I can uh, wind up winding it down with the music. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, well, one day when we grow up we'll, and learn to behave ourselves, we'll have it quite down. Indeed. Um, God, dude. Yeah, obviously, before we uh, did the pleasantries, there is a lot going on. Uh, and aside from uh, the regular segment of just bizarre things that are happening uh, or just interesting things that are happening, there's, there's also... I think fairly consequential things that are happening in terms of the one sixth uh, committee and the build back better plan and plenty of geopolitical stuff that is going on outside of Ukraine. We have a ton to talk about and some we'll probably completely agree on. And, you know, I don't know, maybe some stuff will, will butt heads, but that's what the whole show is about. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll just agree on everything and call it a day. God, we'll just this, wrap up. This the is whole... your last press conference. <laughs> this is it. Um, God. Uh, well, looking back, at least this week, I mean, it's uh, you know, you know, when we talk about the bizarre and the crazy, I mean, there's even just diving into the the geopolitical uh, aspect of everything that's happening right now in the world. I think because the Omicron variant here in Colorado has been sort of pretty disruptive. I think I just haven't been paying attention to the news as much. And I feel like this whole 
Russia-Ukraine story that's been developing has, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not like surprising, but I think it certainly caught me off guard in terms of how it escalated. And I think it probably was because the, uh, the negotiations and discussions really broke down this week, and that's why it came to a head, where there really was no concessions um, from the Russian government or uh, NATO uh, in largely the United States being the backer in that alliance. But one thing I've heard over and over is that the allies are completely unified and solidly unified um, were some of the words that were being thrown around, um, which I don't doubt. I don't think that the United States necessarily wants to find themselves in a physical war with Russia and Ukraine as much as Russia wants to find themselves in a war with the U.S. But I think that at the moment there's a lot of jockeying for position and to see what each side will do. And I think that, you know, the United States, I think, is um, at least telling the truth when they would rather solve this with diplomacy over um, physical violence. I, I think that's a true statement, although I think there's enough conspiracy theorists out there but that might disagree and say this is the military-industrial complex sort of shifting us to uh, a new front, a new war, so that they continue revenues. I don't know. Well, that's one quick thing I, w- I would like to posit to some of the, let's say, um, folks that are not as big of fans of mine uh, on the right who have criticized things such as me saying if President Biden succeeds. Okay, well, this is the kind of thing that I was talking about. Because obviously no rational actor, whether they're American or otherwise, first response is, nuke them, go to war. So with that, what would you have preferred President Biden do here? And maybe on this point, they'll say, well, we weren't talking about that. Well, this is actually precisely what we were talking about when I said, I hope the president succeeds. Doesn't mean I hope every one of his policy goals necessarily gets accomplished, perhaps tweaked a bit, quite a few of them. But this is what I was referring to. And in this case, I I think President Biden did the right thing by he didn't draw a red line in the sand like his uh, Democratic predecessor, but he did in a way. Well, I think, I think at least in his perspective, I I imagine that, you know, they do. They, they do and want to and have to, in some case, rely on NATO and the, our NATO allies, at least, to take forefront in this. And obviously, the biggest dog in the yard is the U.S. and still will be. But I think just having the conversation that we solidly back and we're completely unified, who knows what, what Russia will do? I think, I mean, it could, it could be as, um, <clears throat> it could be about sanctions and maybe Putin really, uh, uh, takes his foot off the gas because of sanctions and the potential of sanctions, but also, uh, you know, it could be that Putin invades the Ukraine and little resistance is met, and there's not a whole lot that the NATO allies can do um, other than, you know, because if I think if Putin and his oligarchs there don't fear the sanctions as much as we think that he does, then he will invade Ukraine because. Fine, sanction me. It's not that big a deal. Well, if you feel like he, if you, you have to ask yourself, do you feel like he's in a position where he has nothing to lose? I don't think that's the case. I don't think Russia so has. Russia may not have something to lose as a people, per se, but their one percent definitely does, and he certainly yeah. is in, among their number. What I'd like to get back to, though, is from the American domestic perspective. I want to hammer this home one more time because regarding President Biden. And that is, remember, and this is something I've written this down a number of times throughout the years. I don't know if somebody said this or maybe it's my own axiom. Who knows? Um, But the chaos 
rarely benefits the favorite. Whether it's a ball game, whether it's geopolitics, chaos benefits the underdog, which is clearly Russia here. Well, what's been going on with COVID, et cetera, is beyond what the normal world order would prefer. So the ball's bouncing loose in the field. Well, who does that help? The second tier team trying to get promotion or Liverpool? That really doesn't benefit the favorite. So in terms of messaging, I think President Biden was kind of put in a corner in the sense that if he says nothing, well, then the de facto spiritual leader of the Western world, I mean, in this case, silence could be seen as concession. So what was he supposed to do? I agree. I agree. But I also think that, you know, (laughs) in an increased period of chaos, like you say, um, there are, there is the reality of more unpredictable uh, outcomes or unpredictable situations that might occur. So I think right, if you're the greater power, you want things <laughs> under control. Yeah. You don't like the ball you hanging know, around the field. Uh, Colonel retired Colonel Vindman, who uh, testified at the um, impeachment hearing also uh, wound up rating the, uh, what he thought was the, likely outcome from a scale from one to 10, 10 being the most likely that Russia would invade Ukraine actually rated it as an eight. And then I think there was a, a NPR interview with Blinken secretary of state, uh, you know, the director uh, Blinken, uh, whether or not he would rate it or how he would rate it. And he obviously said that he, he wouldn't do that, which was the right thing to do as the secretary of state. Right. Uh, secretary of state. But uh, it was interesting that just to hear from a, an expert and a professional in the field, you know, rated he did that. He doesn't strike me as a guy that has a great sense of humor to begin with. Well, maybe not. I mean, I, do, do you see yourself at Comedy Hour with Anthony Blinken knocking back a few Moscow mules, do you? Well, I think he's more one of those guys <laughs> you'd rather have a, a good bourbon with and have some interesting stories. But, sure. <clears throat> so, so the, the, clearly that's, that's what's going on in Russia, Ukraine right now. And I... I think the outcome is anyone's guess, and uh, there might even be uh, an, an outcome by the time this is, this episode's posted. But um, at this point, it's certainly there's. It's interesting, you know. Again, that well, if theory, it's sudden, that, it's not going to be good. No, but I mean, Crimea wasn't was sudden as well. No, that's what I mean. If it's sudden, breaking news. All right, tell me the last time you heard breaking news that was good. Uh, mm-hmm. Good question. Well, I mean. Yeah, yeah, I hear, yeah. I, I take I, I take your point. Um, gosh, <clears throat> what else is going on? There's a plenty. So where do we start? Do we want to start with one six, or do we want to start with the Supreme Court and mandates? Or like, goodness gracious, what direction do you want to go, my friend? I'm gonna Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin. Well, he just kind of factors into all this, doesn't it? Yeah, well, he, do- he does. He's- well, let's yeah, let's walk back this week. <clears throat> so this week, the Supreme Court ruled. Uh, in favor of small business or big business, rather, at least businesses with 100 employees or more, uh, that the OSHA did not have the regulatory power to sort of uh, mandate public health type measures. However, uh, the centers, uh, any institution or any healthcare institution that receives funds or payer payment from the Centers for Medicaid Services, which is Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Which is I, virtually everyone. <clears throat> yes, and I imagine also the VA uh, lumped in there. 
uh, will have to be vaccinated, fully vaccinated, whatever the definition of fully vaccinated means. In which, order to keep their jobs, right? Pretty much. Yep, exactly. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> I think this was... And you agree with that? Um, I don't... It's not that I necessarily take a stance of whether I agree that that should be the policy. I agree that they have the authority to enforce that. And I think... And I, yeah, they do. And I do believe that I think for the at least the health of the the and the, the dexterity of the healthcare system itself, um, and and especially in ter- in in relation to the people that they take care of, that it is the right move because vaccines do uh, at least show uh, an efficacy in reducing severity of disease. So <clears throat> I do I do think that is important. Um, you know, I'm not going to necessarily at this point say my position about the the business mandate, but. I'd see the point. I mean, it is the precedent that OSHA would be able to take uh, control or really have the regulatory power from a like public health position. I think it's interesting. I think it could be litigated somewhere else. <clears throat> I, I don't think that it's crazy. Where? that I don't know. I mean, obviously got, um, I could probably go back to the Supreme Court, I suppose. Um, but what are you talking about? Because the, the mandate did. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, this is the precedent that's set, but it doesn't go mean that back. It doesn't mean that there can't be a case brought in the future that sort of uh, upends the precedent or, or, you know, at least challenges the precedent of OSHA being able to have uh, the ability to sort of regulate public health in terms of a business perspective. But I don't know. I'm not advocating for that necessarily. I haven't thought about it that much. But um, certainly, I, I think from a political standpoint, um, you know, the, I, th- I, I mean, think it's it was a loser politically. If you were to break it down to brass tacks in terms I mean, of electoral did, politics, the did, mandates are a loser. Yeah, well, I mean, in this case, is this a winner or is this a is this a winning thing for Biden or is no, it a losing thing for Biden? No, no, no. What I'm saying is, in terms of a loser, I'm talking about what is going to accrue you votes. So then, what what's the political fallout from this? Well, the the political fallout at this particular juncture, because, I mean, because basically in, Biden got like a, Biden got like a fifty fifty on this one. Right. So, I mean, in a way, he can chalk it up as a win. I mean, he still got half of what he asked for. You could. It's not what they wanted, though. Let's be real. True, but it's still still not the biggest loss. Yeah. They got some of it. And frankly, I don't know that it wasn't an overreach. I I, I, I mean, personally, I'm kind of inclined to agree that it is. You think Uh, OSHA is a bit of an overreach? Because 100 employees, I hate to break it to you, but that is not big business. Okay, that's uh, let's let's get real here. That small business is the primary driver as of this moment. Still, yeah, but look, I think at the end of the day, given I, I think that the even just leading up to the Supreme Court case had a huge impact because at least from my the business that I work for, there was a robust push to get everyone vaccinated to comply with both state, county, and federal mandates ahead of the mandate being. Um, solidified or not up uh, overturned and so i think there was a lot i think i think even though they might look at this as a as like a loss it i think it still had a profound effect in terms of really vaccinating folks broadly that i think will be really hard to quantify or maybe it's really easy to quantify uh but but i think overall the threat well, of the, the threat the threat of the mandate really got a lot i think of people both vaccinated. things can be true at once sure I agree with you. So I, mean, I, I think it could be true that some, some, some positive, there was a net gain 
from taking the disease and by proxy the vaccine more seriously. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there's a time to call it a day, perhaps in terms of the recognizing recognizing the the realistic limits from which the federal government can actually. Well, you know, it's also it's also tough, man. I mean, from regardless of the political standpoint, I, I take there's enough Republican leadership. Well, I didn't party. Yeah, there's, but there is. There's enough Republican leadership out there that I think is willing to um, let their sort of let nature take its course in a way like a, you know, let's just, uh, let, let's let, uh, let's just let this be and, and, uh, and not do whole, I mean, think of like DeSantis in Florida being one of those folks that I don't know that his population, his constituency is like better off because of his hands off approach. And so I think there's always a counterbalance. It's like Newton's laws of physics, right? There's an equal and op- opposite reaction, and in this case, it's the federal government really trying to reach out and protect people, uh, which I think, I don't think there's any sort of <clears throat> conspiratorial overlordship that's coming is. from that. Because I'm not saying that. Because there are enough leaders out there that are just doing as, as least of the bare minimum and under the bare mon- minimum that they possibly could. And it's really not doing their constituency much, much good. So, right, I'm, not, so, I'm not accusing... I'm not accusing anyone on the, on the left or anywhere of modern day eugenics here. That's that's not what I'm getting at. Uh, what I'm what I'm driving at is, I go back to the question that Antonin Scalia asked in his dissent regarding the ACA, and that was, okay, so please, will anyone tell me, is there one area, is there one spot of my life that is off limits to the federal government? And I come back to that here, going, okay, wait. Like CNN's headline we discussed, oh, 62% of people in ICUs with COVID, they're, they're unvaccinated. Well, that tells me, in the brackets, 38% of them are. Now, I'm vaccinated. I'm not against it. But what I'm getting at here is it's clear that nobody has a the answer. They, this is beyond the government's control here. We can hope to maybe uh, create some waves to drive the, the ball back the other way. But... This is beyond a, hey, we're going to issue an edict. And I mean, with our system of government, that is, I think we've seen the limits of federalism here. I mean, that's a shame because I don't think we're better off like with. That's not the question. I get it. And I appreciate your whole sort of like principles before everything. But we talked about this, you know, even about from like free speech perspective that your principality could be your the ultimate destruction without evolution and i'm not i'm not i'm not saying that anything that i have to propose is better than the first amendment but the idea of like liberty and principality and all this stuff could be our ultimate destruction and if we're okay with that because we're i just think it would be a perfect victory nate sure Maybe and look i mean they call we're, a perfect victory we're, or scorched earth we're, we're, i think at what cost do you want to accomplish snuffing out this I mean, virus if it's at the expense <laughs> If it's if it's bringing back what we had before the NSAs in every which they probably still are, which I just that, don't I don't okay, see the I don't see the like this public health crisis. I guess I don't march down the conspiracy. You can threaten my path. livelihood. Some companies have threatened people's retirements over this issue, Nate, and I've got a problem with that. I do. So what? They didn't work all those years and approve that retirement. So now because you want to move the goalposts, that's okay. I mean, who's moving the goalposts? What are the, the goalposts? For instance, I, I want to say it was Delta. I may be incorrect. One of the airlines, there's been a number of, and this is not from Breitbart, I assure you. Um, mm-hmm. I've said, okay, you're not going to play ball with the mandates, with our rules. Well, 
okay, to strike someone's 401k, that that's like saying they never worked there. Well, no one's, you can't legally That'll strike. That'll end up in the court system, yeah, they, of course. They, 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 they can't legally hold. strike someone's 401k. Maybe they could withhold uh, match. But it ties back into the greater picture for me. And you go into social media. Well, actually, we do have a right to tell them that they can't prohibit speech on those platforms because <gasps> federal tax there payer dollars have shock of all shocks subsidized those companies jack dorsey and mark zuckerberg they didn't get where they are without the taxpayer so uh, so we do have a right to say you can't prohibit donald trump and louis farrakhan from speaking yeah there's a bigger picture here there's more at stake is what i'm getting at here than just the mandate yeah and i'm i'm tracking on on all that i mean i think (laughs) well Okay. Yeah. I fear an expansionary federal state because at what point, and, and again, I, I've mentioned some things that seem like so socialist I, programs. So I guess people. the question then is, I mean, it's the, it, this will be sort of the philosophical question of, you know, uh, uh, 200 years from now is at what cost are we, are we, are we willing to have that be 90% unvaccinated in the ICUs at a higher volume of death? Like we're cool with that because we don't want, we're so afraid of government overreach we're so afraid of an, an like this boogeyman, weird authoritarian government. If you don't is, want to get like, vaccinated, which I think you like, should, which is weird because I think we we're like losing. The, we're we're not seeing the forest for the trees, right? Like we're worried about federal overreach with like OSHA mandating vaccines during a global pandemic. Yet we're not talking about the fact that the GOP is so outside of reality right now that if Donald Trump wins the nomination and wins the election in 2024, we might not actually have a democracy because well, that's a skip. We could because, go out voting okay? because that shit's but actually happening right now. But I'm not this, driving at that. But there's this, that, that, this potential conspiratorial boogeyman of government overreach because they're trying to respond in the most appropriate way to a global pandemic. Well, uh, appropriate. That's, that's an interesting use With, of the without, word. Okay. Without, and, and sacrificing, without sacrificing more American lives. Look, like, I hate to break so, it to So the question is, so there's a speculative boogeyman of government overreach versus the actual historically documented boogeyman that's actively happening in the U.S. right now. That will I, lead to I, that I, will I think clearly you're lead. To shift the argument here. It's yeah. We I'm totally shifting the argument. It's it is. We're talking about the potential. So what am I arguing? What what, what are we arguing so now? What, my what whole, my so whole what you're talking about? What you're this. talking about? What you're arguing about? What what you're so nervous about with this whole pandemic in the U.S. OSHA, all this stuff is that you're afraid of government overreach. Yet we have even haven't even begun to talk so this this potential government overreach this speculative government overreach yeah i hate to break it to you but nobody gets out of life alive nate got it got it right so so if you want to be unvaccinated i think you should be vaccinated (laughs) i am vaccinated yeah but if you aren't and you want to close out that way fine i don't think the federal government should try and make you which is really funny because i'm paying for that i'm paying with every paycheck you're paying for a lot of crap you don't use so exactly so we might as well you know make it accessible to everyone my point is my point is again that's that's changing the issue it's not that i'm saying the vaccine shouldn't be available i got it at the va i I think i think we're talking past each other here well i i did shift the argument because i'm trying to make the point that what is your point we're, we're so concerned about this like this this boogeyman biden who is trying to expand the federal government is that really what you're lumping me in with where i mean but we talked about we're going to talk about covid we're going to talk about Russia, and we're going to talk about 
uh, one six, and they they okay. the, the, it's just the it's the it's the spectrum of the argument here that there's no proof that the 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 public health response is somehow going to further the the the, the permanent grasp and hold on the American people with the federal government. When has power ever receded, Nate? When, it, when has the federal government ever gone, all right, we don't need these emergency powers anymore. Here they are. You take them back. Come on, like, get out of here. When's that happened? When has that happened? So then it's a balance I need to strike to be like, okay, how many more, how much longer can me and my profession uh, keep going? Because we, as long because as we don't, because we don't want a federal, you're taking the check, because we you? don't want a federal government response. Um, I think it's, it's a little bit more altruistic. John, then, then it makes out to be just that because I could make you don't have to be a nurse, Nate. I don't, but it's also a calling, right? It's also well. Then if, there's your if answer. Not, then who? How so, much longer is in perpetuum? But does that mean I should be put through this for in in perpetuity? In perpetuity? That's the I, thing. I personally so, don't think so. So, but so that's you have to so, so you have to balance like what kind of response you need. It's sort of like striking a balance of federal government. Um, involvement. And then, I mean, the last 40 years has made us highly skeptical of federal government. But that's, that's, that's what neoliberalism has done over the last 40 years. If you look, you know, every, that's the prevailing discussion. It's like, let's go back to the old times. The conservatives were so much more aligned with the federal government. This was FDR's like... Yeah, Eisenhower the, was not a small government. And everyone thinker. wants to go back to those times... Eisenhower was big government. I know, and everyone wants to go back to the olden days. A uh, little bit more 1776 these days, but everyone wants to go back to the old days, quote-unquote. Yeah, with no electricity, days, no thanks. And the old days had a bigger federal government. It's just, it's insane. We talk about moving goalposts, and I can move, the, I can show you where the goalposts go. It's crazy. It's all over the place. My point is, I think there is a federal government, um, the, the, the federal government, Per the Constitution is to look out for the welfare of its people. That is limited government, right? And right now the government is fulfilling and needs to fulfill its duty to take care of the welfare of, it, of its citizens. Well, look, I, I think maybe I, I came across one because, for instance, I want to take people back to when this first broke out um, after my surgery at the end of March 2020. I advocated for shutting down the country for six months, subsidize people to stay at home, get this thing under control, stamp it out now but that's part of being what you know i call it's rather opaque i suppose but being a radical centrist is i am willing to take quote unquote severe steps if necessary for the good of the country in, in, in such a time the problem is my definition of a national crisis crises is okay we handle the crisis and then we do our best to go back to normal <clears throat> That's not what we're getting now. It's now, okay, we can transition this. Into, I mean, and they, they, all I would have to do is go back to Saigar and the things that are brought up, uh, programs that were instilled in 2003 in Iraq that are continuing now in surveillance on the American people. I'm getting at a much bigger picture here. Okay. So, this, okay, so this isn't that big of a deal. Oh, it's only $15 million. Yeah, well, that's how we end up where we are. Like, the, the, is there any limit to which the state can grow? Is there any limit? Yep, yeah, I hear you. Well, that I, I would say um, on, on a, uh, <clears throat> uh, in a hypothetical world where we both agreed 
with the same, we both agreed that there was only this amount of federal government that was allowed to exist to make a healthy country. I would still, uh, I would still argue that this current climate entering year three in a global pandemic falls within the purview of the federal government in terms of its mandate to perfect, to, pre- pre- to protect and to take into account the welfare of its citizens. And, and <clears throat> I, I just don't, Maybe it's just because I don't have the energy or the skepticism at the moment. Maybe it's because I'm in the thick of the craziness of all of this to say that I think that there's going to be this enhanced surveillance state because the government's trying to coordinate the number Not because of, of this of, one specific thing. That's, that's not what I'm saying. This is, a, this is a, a pot and frog type situation. Put a frog in a, in a cold pot of water on the stove, turn the heat on. It doesn't know it's being boiled. It'll be dead before it knows. And that sounds extreme, but here's, here's the thing. And, and I know you're sick of hearing this. People that are listening to us are sick of hearing this. But it, it goes back to we were more interested in, quote, security than freedom after 9-11. We really ended up with neither. Um, this fiasco that we saw countless people mangled for for two decades, come to find out we never had any real plan to win, and we knew that for quite some time. Um, the rolling over of surveillance programs on the Afghani people into cities in America, I don't think you're quite seeing the, the broader picture here, Nate, that the, the size and scale of the federal government's out of control. Look, I hear you there. Um, what I'm saying is in our current situation, like as a, as a, as a public health crisis, um, this is a place that the federal government should have its fingers in it should ha- it should be the leader in this coordinated uh, uh, attempt to allow every american to have a, a safe and healthy prosperous life it doesn't mean that there aren't things that are going on in the federal government that if they want the vaccine get it yeah but it, at the I'm end okay of the day but at the end of the day the decision to not get vaccinated means uh, a delay back to normal and a strain on the healthcare system, and a strain on every uh, every other American that chose to get vaccinated. You know, you say like, "Well, there's 38 percent in there that didn't that did get vaccinated." That's a crazy argument to be like, "Well, 30, well that's not 30, an argument. 60, that's a mathematical 62 percent are in there unvaccinated. Well, 38 aren't. So fuck it." You know, like that's not that's, that's not that's, the that's, argument that, that I made. That's it's. I mean, then, the ex- then expand on the argument because you didn't. And in this That's case, it's saying that, that because 38% are vaccinated, then that just makes up and negates the fact that, that wasn't the argument that I was are. making. So then make the, the argument. argument. So then what the is argument the argument that I was making was going to the broader dishonesty of the media there. I didn't spell that out. My apologies. But I wasn't aiming at hate because, again, that's why I prefaced it. I thought I would get that across by saying I am vaccinated and I think you should get vaccinated. I'm not anti-vax. What I'm saying is you can't even listen to the damn media. I mean, the, the, it's again, it's the, the, the media would make the point 62% of people that are unvaccinated or, or make, make up the population of those um, uh, burdening the healthcare system right now. And my, but those my are, point that's is 62, they didn't point out the obvious, Nate. That's, that's a huge percentage of, if you really were to break Truth it all down, that's a huge percentage of people reality nowadays. that have nowadays. Had, had a moment to think about the commons and a moment to think about another individual outside of themselves I think you're missing be. the point about the media here. Well, I just don't think it's like, what's the point of the argument of the media? That they were dishonest about something? It still doesn't change the fact that you said the <coughs> facts are the facts. That is a population that's almost double 
than another population that is burdening the healthcare system. My, my, my so, point is dealing with the media, truth is as subjective as reality. <clears throat> so, and they, they shaved that statistic. So how do you interpret that statistic though? Because in a way, it sounds like you're negative. You're, you're sort of uh, against the media's portrayal of that statistic. When, no, again, what I'm getting at 38%, is, 38%. So d- double the amount of people in the, in the hospital are there because of COVID uh, or in the ICUs. So 38%, right? So if, if let's just say hypothetically that those folks were vaccinated, um, that the 68% or, or 62% were vaccinated, then that means that what half of them would be hospitalized, which means there'd be 38%. Uh, uh, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Either way, the point is up to 100% mix um you'd have a a near kind of neutral mix of unvaccinated and vaccinated folks which i guess uh, is an interesting discussion to have anyway again that's not what i was driving at. what i'm driving at is that i'm having democrats in the the sovereign state of texas for instance while i was there who told me that that was one of the reasons they don't trust the media because that headline was must have been a much bigger bigger deal in texas than it was in colorado but Regardless, they're pointing this out as one of the reasons they don't trust the media who's trying to get them to get vaccinated because it came off to them as a duplicitous headline. Because, so they because only, in the news story, they only discussed, you know, they only discussed it from that framework of hope. Okay. So, this, so these people in Texas are, are not going to get, are, are not going to get vaccinated because of what the mainstream media said. So that's all they're relying on is the truthfulness of the media to decide whether or not well, they're going to get vaccinated. That. Again, that's, that's not what I said. That's not what they said. They used that day. One of them was like this the way she put it. She said, mm-hmm, that right there. Well, because they, they feel like they're not being told the truth from even the people that want them to get vaccinated. <laughs> so why should they? And with black Americans, I'm going to tell you right now, you know, you're going to get squeamish hearing this, but because of Tuskegee, I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all for going, "Mm, let's let this run some clinical trials for half a decade first. And that is, you don't believe me? Go ahead and Google that. Look, I'm not. That is by and large how that community feels right now. And I understand it. I'm not denying that at all. Um, I've been vaccinating people for since we could, we could vaccinate people. You had to have heard this. I've heard everything from everyone. You saw dog, you? I've, I've, I've heard everything from everyone. It doesn't, it, it's, it's, uh, I'm not minimizing anyone's uh, argument against it. I think some are dumber than others. Um, however, I, I do completely understand people's opinions about the healthcare system. I do. I get it. Uh, but, I wasn't pointing that at you, no, nor were they. But it's my experience. I mean, but that's the reality. There's there are certain folks that feel like that the system has failed them in the past, and they, by proxy, I mean, it's the fourth estate. They see the media as part of that. Well, that's media's failing then. I, <laughs> but uh, I, I certainly think there's probably more misinformation on Facebook and YouTube and other places than the mainstream media really pushing these huge disinformations that are getting people all discombobulated. But it's also anecdotal at best. Um, all right, let's, well, let's, okay, so speaking of misinformation and stuff like that, I think there has been one thing we haven't talked about since our um, turn of the year uh, episode was what's going on with the 1-6 committee, because I feel like right at the end of the year, it started picking up steam, and then after we talked, it's picked up a bit more steam in terms of uh, connecting some dots. 
I'm not I'm not necessarily here to talk about the complete details of everything, but I right. do I do think one thing I've said since uh, at least 2021 is I hope that uh, I hope that Trump sort of fades into because of the reality that many of the uh, him and his top I would say closest allies sort of this like space they they live in. I think it's going to be. It must be a wonderful world, huh? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's an easy world to live in because you just make stuff up all the time and sort of adapt with the time. Think about it. Nobody ever challenges you. Well, Steve Inscape from NPR certainly challenged the president and he hung up. Is that the interview he quit? Yeah, exactly. So he couldn't even go over to like the PBS (laughs) of radio uh, and have a conversation. What do you do? Hang up? Yeah. He just said, what what, what happened? What did he ask him? Well, Steve Inscape just kept asking him questions, sort of like poking holes in the logic that he's been asking him questions about key allies, asking him questions about election lies. And I mean, it was a great interview. I mean, he had Steve Inscape was, uh, he's a great interviewer. He's, he, he's a great interviewer. So what was the coup de grace? What Um, made Donald hang up? It wasn't one specific question. It was just the relentless questioning and sort of the, uh, the facts to counter, uh, counterbalance or counter uh, check uh, the the president and his statements he was making, <laughs> and the president finally said, "Okay, goodbye," uh, and that was it. So that's what he said. That yep, yep. And well, at least he did say that. <clears throat> the so my point is, I think that that I said, especially in twenty twenty one, was a low bar. I do believe that as long as the reality and the in the goalposts continue to get moved, I think it'll be harder and harder for folks to to continue to live in this reality. And I think as evidenced by a president unable to go on something as simple as NPR um, and not be able to finish an interview is indicative of, I think the over the, like, I believe that democracy truly is stronger than the weakest president on in history, un, unable to even finish a, uh, a sort of like slightly left-leaning biased um, interview, which Stevens gave, um, I think, I feel like it's just asking the hard the, the tough questions, which actually aren't tough questions. They're questions that need to be asked. So I... I would have to listen to the interview. <clears throat> I mean, it's just... It's, it's probably on YouTube, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it... Uh, yep, it is. Um, so my point is, I think the, the, the farther we delve into these delusions and continue this misinformation, I think, um, I don't know how it will continue to be as destructive for democracy. I think we're on this path that's still pretty crazy right now. And I hope that I'm being optim. I'm, I, I, I hope that my optimism is, is, uh, is realized, but the one, I'm very optimistic. The, the one sixth commission, um, at least from a centrist perspective is, has been, it has been nothing short of delicious to listen to uh, almost every night coming home. And there's more text messages that are leaked, uh, more connections that are being made. Here's um, the thing that late, has been infuriating late, in a way. Well, but later, because... but earlier this week, hold on. Earlier this week, um, the top leaders of the Oath Keepers uh, were indicted on sedition conspiracy charges. Um, it's just sort of coming together. We've already got two sitting representatives who have declined an interview with the committee, but it's clearly and undeniably, um, they're undeniably linked towards at least conversations that are being had prior during and after the uh, insurrection and riot at the Capitol. So there's just so much coming together. And I, you know, the fact that 
these representatives are even in the conversation during this time is highly problematic and worth this worth investigating. Um, and I just wonder the more that this stuff comes out, the more complete picture. I don't think the average American is listening to this shit, but at least it's going to be at least helpful um, from a campaigning perspective, and at least just from the history written um, in in the U.S. about this time for the future to look back on. Anyway, I'll give you the floor. What? No, I just I I don't have much to add beyond that because I think it is necessary that we know. Um, I think it's interesting having watched it via three different sources that day, uh, being told that I didn't see what I saw, but that's a different topic altogether, I suppose. Um, the the thing that's been infuriating to me, though, with the the January sixth deals, like I was talking to my sister about this, and I said it's not what's was said that stands out to me so much. It's the fact that I'm assuming this is because of the, what the Executive Privilege Act or whatever it's called, uh, Executive Communications Act, I think maybe. But regardless, there's probably a number of pieces of legislation that that protect that redact what the president said. But it's his communication from that day that I'm really interested in what because if you take you might in general be able to get a, an overall grasp and I'm not saying this is a backhanded defense of President Trump okay just hear me here if you take just half of the conversations that you and I had over the last six months no it wouldn't be anywhere near that great of scale but probably people that didn't know you and I intimately wouldn't have a freaking clue what we were talking about. I mean, I think that's, we're amenable to that, yes? So sure. with the whole, some of the texts that I've seen, and you and I have talked about them, yes, they stand out to me. It raises my antenna. I want to know what the other half of that conversation is. What was the president saying? And until we know that, I don't, yes, we can draw a lot of conclusions, but can you know for sure until you hear the other half of that conversation is my point. So my, my question then is, in terms of like your antennas being raised, like, uh, conversations between uh, Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows actively talking about overturning precedent, tradition, and law. Right. It, again, that that should be, you know, it's like, oh, oh that just sure. raised between my, this just raised my red flag. This should yeah, be elevated them, yes, to yes, another yes. situation. Like in terms of like, this is seriously yes. raising my, my antennas. Yes. I was more referring to the, the conversations that were, have been alluded to plenty that involve directly the president we just don't know what he said and again that's not me defending him i'm saying for us to draw i think any fair-minded legal argument would include for us to draw conclusions must include the other half of those conversations because for instance as i said to my sister in the same conversation i said it came out that day on the 6th of january that the house minority leader kevin mccarthy and donald trump got president trump at the time got into a screaming match well, I'm assuming, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and, and assume that that screaming match didn't occur because Kevin McCarthy agreed with Donald Trump. Yeah. I think that, which, does which that is, not stand a reason? Yeah, I mean, which is really interesting because the, so the guys- So what was going on the, at that time? Yeah, That's exactly. what I wanted to know. What got said? What caused that? And then even more interesting, and it's not in the purview and the scope of the committee, but he's completely changed his tune, which is super interesting. Is that extortion? Is that like, what is going on um, that that- We've had all this really tough, all this really tough rhetoric, and all of a sudden, this guy bows. I mean, just worships, worships. You know, in a McCarthy weird way. McCarthy wants to be speaker, and mm. he feels that's necessary. Yeah, it's it's 
that's that's crazy, man. That's he's rich imagine, until he leaves. Imagine being that beholden to another man. It's crazy. I don't think that he's act. I don't think that he's correct. I don't think that this is going to play well. Just worships him. Mm. I mean, I feel sorry for him. I don't want Kevin McCarthy a speaker. I think, uh, be, I think he's a dangerous speaker, to be honest with you. It, well, anyone that's willing to be that big of a chameleon. I mean, David Bowie did it with albums. You're doing it with lives. Yeah. So that's <sighs> that's a bit of a concern to me. So we'll see. I think you know. I think uh, the the um, indictments are slowly happening at a at a more I guess at a at a bigger level uh, than they have in the past, or or more importance in terms of planning and destruction and, and true conspiracy. Uh, and I think Merrick Garland really had to. He took some flack there uh, the last couple of weeks in terms of his response to all this. But I think in an instant gratification society, it's tough. Um, when you're talking about the Justice Department, that really right, does there's no app for that. T- takes its time, which I think is the right thing. You know, so long as the wheels continue to turn, um, right? It, it is the right thing for there to be to due process because the idea that well, we don't agree with those people, so okay, well, you realize they'd apply the same thinking to you, right? Yeah, and I think so, uh, that's why we have the justice system. Regardless, I still believe in due process. Um, and I do think that the justice system just moves at a at a pace that's quite slower than uh, norm average society. So probably, <sighs> but anyway, um, gosh, we've we we bombed through a lot of that stuff. But you know, it's 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 so it's so great when we agree. I, I suppose it is. I mean, yeah. I, for the most part, we have a consensus on that. I mean, um, we need more information. Basically, I I don't. I'm not willing to draw a conclusion yet one way or the other. I, I have seen some texts that definitely are highly suspect as to motive, I shall say. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to deny that. Um, well, hey, let's round out this episode because I think we need to talk a little uh, monetary policy. But uh, your boy, Mr. Powell, um, looks like we're going to have some interest rate, interest rate uh, hikes over the next year, really cool this economy off possibly bring down inflation start in march probably you know i'll tell you uh the fed has really made it weird for the economists over the last uh decade plus in terms of how the economy would respond to um you know quantitative easing and and lots of money in the market um however i think we're at this point i think covid it's interesting because i think as unprecedented as covid it, it is I'd be curious to see where the economy would be um, without it. Like, would we still be rolling around along, or would there be something else that would, would cause the inflation that we have today? But you know, I, I think know. I think the Fed has done quite a remarkable job over the last um, decade in terms of their mandate. So it'll be interesting. Oh yeah, they've to come see. out of this thing smelling like a rose. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, we put a lot of faith back into the Fed that raising rates and um, making the the money that's borrowed by banks a little bit more expensive actually might cool things off but i also think that you know there's a huge supply and demand aspect to this uh to this part of inflation right now and i do think it, time will really be the healer of all when we can finally get um supply back meeting demand but also i think there's this like disingenuous discussion and argument amongst economists right now that talk about the fact that so many Americans have just saved, saved, saved so much money. Um, when I guess my question is if pre print pandemic, you know, 75% of the population had less than $500 in their bank account. 
um, all of a sudden is like at year three is running out of their stimulus savings, I think is a bit disingenuous. It's I, I, I haven't read those articles. I, I haven't heard a serious economic thinker say that. I, I need to read this. No, I mean, it's 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 a conversation that's being you. had that at some point, Americans are going to run out of their savings. Um, they already have. They never had savings. Even with the stimulus checks that were given, there was no massive savings by the by U.S. Americans. Or, excuse me, but U.S. Yeah, under 500 bucks. I mean, so that means like they have... Three hundred bucks. So they're already through that. So yeah, I I think this idea that you know, the, like demand will somehow Nonsense. demand will somehow ease because Americans have just burnt through their savings is just uh, a complete, they're misreading the tea a leaves. complete freaking miss. Um, yeah, and that's why I don't think the economy stands to to suffer that greatly. I mean, Wall Street's going to feel it, but let's remember that the real interest rate is negative right now in terms of the interest rate is not keeping up with inflation. So. Uh, they have plenty of room to raise the rates from 0.25% to <laughs> up to the 2% mark, which is where they try and keep inflation. They've yeah. got plenty of wiggle room there to move that, to get to get things under control, and it's not going to affect Main Street. It's going to affect Wall Street. Yeah, but, you know, look, I mean, they'll, live. they'll be fine. The market, the market continues um, to do well on average year over year. And uh, so... But I just I think like raising rates ra- raising, is the right move. raising rates is I'll say I'll say it's it's the right move from a from a um, like a academic perspective. Um, I think that ultimately like demand and supply needs to to, to well, meet. But even even if you were to reduce, and this is all anecdotal, but even if you were to reduce demand by multiple percentage points, like it's still the supply issue is still there, right? Well, so, let me ask you this. How, how anecdotal is this? The idea that, yeah, sure, inflation is academic until you're paying 12 bucks for a gallon of milk. No, I get it. But the theory is so academic then. But, but theories surrounding policy are academic, right? Like they're not. This period of inflation is different from the 80s period of inflation. Well, so of there's, there's modeling based on, you know, the, the current climate, the current, uh, everything current. And, and so it is. It is academic. Like there is, it's, it's theoretical. It's academic at best. There's, there's some, some experience that we can draw on, but even geopolitics plays a role in how the market responds and how, of course it does. and so, and so this is, so it is highly academic, but it doesn't mean that the reality out there is that people are paying, you know, a buck more for milk and a buck more That's, for eggs. No, 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 no. That, I was just, I was making the point that it wouldn't seem so academic then. I, I, I get I, it. Yeah, but no, I think it's the right thing to do to raise rates, and I don't think Main Street's gonna feel it again because rates have been real rates have been negative for so long. I don't think that it's gonna make as much of a dent on Main Street, and Wall Street will survive. Yeah, well, I mean, we always have. This isn't like oh seven oh eight in terms of like housing crisis kind of stuff, but um, you know, I wanted to. I didn't get to make a couple predictions. And uh, I want to make one now. Well, you just make them now. Out. I don't know if it's a prediction as much as I think. You know, getting into the midterms, um, I think the I think the Democrats will will um, are already preparing for quite a loss, uh, but also just not like a huge loss, but at least loss of control. But I wonder, um, like, if we really don't get voting rights, uh, and I just say we, but I say that, you know from a uh, anecdotal or a. a by proxy, the Democrats, liberals don't get something done with voting rights at the federal level or build back better. 
you know, I wonder what else they'll be reaching for in terms of the toolkit to like make some sort of impact, right? And, or further impact from the infrastructure bill. And uh, they've already pushed student loan repayment back January 31st to the end of May. And I wonder if that is something they're continuing to work on from a legal perspective in terms of at least from the, the youth voter or those who have carry stu- student debt. Will there be some sort of movement on that? Because already pushing it back, I mean, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we talk about entitlement programs and this might what might have been, this might be a certain situation where um, their inaction on anything actually turns into like, a, a quote unquote entitlement program where we're just no longer going to, or we're going to, we have to make a change here, whether it's a, the, the dropping of interest rates and it's just paying back principal or a reduction uh, broadly on the, the debt level for each individual with federal loans. I feel like there, there might be something that happens with this uh, because they have really not been successful in other areas that they wanted to be and to retain some of that youth vote just so that we really are invested in the American people where they couldn't they be, could. um, they would make a move here. And it doesn't, it's obviously not a solution to the, the broad problem, but like they could be like, listen, all federal student loans uh, no longer have interest attached to it. It is an infrastructure move, uh, a human infrastructure move where you can take principal, a principal only loan and, and with no interest, or if there's interest, it's like 1%. And so they're getting something back on their return but it's not seven, right. eight, nine percent over you know uh, an average for forty thousand dollar loan, and I think that would make a huge impact on people. That shows that the federal government does care, and they are willing to invest in a way where, look, we are taking money, but we're not feeling like we're getting taken advantage of from an interest rate perspective from the federal government. And so I'm right. curious. I, I do I do think that there actually will be something that happens because it's gone so long without people paying that they'll have to do something because it'll be such a jolt to the system. Um, and already with inflation and all these uncertainties to to saddle people back with that. Good question. So I, I don't know. That's that's that's. I wanted to make that. I didn't make the prediction in the last episode, and I feel like um, I, I wanted to make it because I got some time to think about it. Um, well, however, did you think there's going to be some movement there. I think I think there will be, and it, you know, regardless of my stance on it, like I just think there probably will be something that happens. I don't know how dramatic it will be, but I do think that they'll either keep kicking it down the road or uh, th- there'll be some sort of temporary solution uh, uh, enacted to, to, to make a dent in what could arguably be the next bubble, um, if we're not well, careful. Well, what people don't think about is that by kicking it down the road, they're still taking action. They're still subsidizing those banks. You think those banks are going broke? No, 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 no. But... It's one well, of those things they're where they're dependent solely upon it, student loans, but the song remains the same. Yeah, it, it could be one of those things where they sort of, uh, instead of the, the banks or they, they make an investment in the in people, uh, the average person who you know who. Anyway, I don't know. It's just it's, well, it, right? But but my point is by kicking the punt the ball down the road, saying okay, you don't owe for another four months. T- well, somebody's paying those banks. Well, yes, yeah. So, um, so it's it's you and I. It's the taxpayer, regardless. Well, no one's paying. Them right now, but it's also one of those things that are backed. I mean, it's a I find alone. it very difficult to believe. Maybe I'm wrong, but I find it very difficult to believe that the banks are just going, okay, just kick it down the road four months, and we'll just expand our Excel spreadsheet to include that four months, just a gap. Somebody yeah, subsidizing those banks, but it's not all banks. It's a, it's a federal government loan. It's, it's whoever. A- I mean, okay, if it's all right, but there's a difference in federal subsidized and it's a federal loan. Yeah. But we're talking about federal loans. 
Okay. Well, in that case, yeah, I guess they could do it. I mean, the federal government, I guess, can do whatever the hell it wants. Yeah. It does. And that's what I'm saying. There, there could be something done, which, you know, that's not everyone's, that's not the entirety of everyone's loan, but direct federal, like, aid or right. loans could be. You know, you never know, but I'm, I'm not a constitutional scholar. It could be. Scholar. No, I mean, but, but it, would be, it, would, it would be, it would be super impactful. It'd be super it would impactful. Be. It would make an impact on a great number of millennial households. It would, because people could do all the things that Republicans want them to do. Make babies, spend, do all this stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we don't think about it. So, well, hey, look, man, we've been talking close to an hour. Uh, and, uh, and I felt like this was an awesome uh, conversation in terms of currently where we are and in the direction we're going. Um, but my voice is not used to these long, drawn-out conversations anymore. Yeah, it's very sacred. It's like in a, in a very white, qualified, to satisfy you type way. Um, yeah. No, you know, let, what we'll do is we won't make it so long so we don't have to cram so much into the next episode. Fair enough. Well, hey, look, as always, it's an honor and a privilege to do this. At this point in our in our career and the, the time doing this, it's it's been nuts uh, between what you've been doing and what we're, what I'm dealing with over here in, in healthcare, but... It's always an honor and a privilege when we can do it. So uh, until next time, au revoir. We'll see ya. Yeah, it's got the power of a baddie.